again, friends. This is the great Brian Lass, and welcome to another edition of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast. I, of course, am joined by Mike Mills. And Mike, today we're going to look at Mid-South Wrestling Television from January 28th, 1982. Yeah, it's a good one. Bill Watts is on the money again with some grand commentary. Boyd Pierce at the very beginning of the episode is looking very dapper and debonair, if I must say so myself. And I'm just ready to jump into this one, given uh, given a discovery that we made uh, about a week ago, too, as well, in regards to the Welcher or Katsabulus. Well, we'll get to that, of course, later on here <laughs> in the show. And like you said, a Bill Watts off and running this week. We have so much Bill Watts audio, and it's just so amazing how good he is on commentary at getting all the stories across and just making everything make sense. One of the central themes that you uh, will see and you'll hear a little bit later on in the show is he explains why these guys are even doing it. It's so you can make money. You know, if you win the match, you make money. He explains this, and it's like one of those minor things that don't get included much in wrestling discussions nowadays that, hey, if you win, you make more money. If you're the champion, you make more money. I don't know when the last time that was brought up on an actual wrestling television angle, but we'll get more into that later on here in the show. But, Mike, you brought up Boyd was looking – did you say debonair? Was that the word you used? Yeah, yeah, he's looking very dapper and debonair. He's on it, man. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, he obviously got the attention of one cowboy, Bill Watts, who was sitting next to him. I don't know how he didn't go blind from all the lights reflecting <laughs> off Boyd's gold jacket. His, as uh, it was called, his suit of lights. But let's uh, let's listen to a little bit of audio right here at the top of the show. Boyd doing the intro and pitching the Bill Watts. Hello, wrestling fans, and welcome to Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. I'm your host, Boyd Pierce, and lots of exciting action coming your way. We have outstanding tag team battle as the Junkyard Dog and Mike George take on the rugged duo of Paul Orndorff and Bob Orton Jr. Another great match as North American heavyweight title holder Ted DiBiase in the ring against Bob Roop. Alpha and Seeker, the Samoan Warriors are here. The new Mississippi heavyweight champion, Mr. Olympia. Well, lots of great action. Bill Watts, our guest commentator, it looks like nothing but sheer excitement. Well, Boyd Pierce, it's sheer excitement sitting by you. You know, I'm looking straight ahead at the camera because if I turned and looked at you with that suit of lights you've got on that bright gold, I'd need sunglasses, I guarantee you. But I hear the crowd rumbling and Dick Murdoch, the man from Waxahachie, Texas, is in there. We better turn it over to the ring because he can have his opponent whipped and be back home before we even got the cameras over there. And here's the introduction of the opening event. And from that, they go to the charismatic Reeser Bowden. But uh, watch, just bringing up how ridiculous Boyd looks this week. It really <laughs> the the irony, ridiculous. the the irony here, Brian, is last week Boyd had the exact. I don't say opposite, but he had a shiny silver suit on. This week, he's decked out in shiny gold. In, I mean, he's literally dressed in New Orleans Saints colors. I mean, you know, I'm a Saints fan, obviously, but I mean, he is. He's shining, man. I mean, he's glimmering. It's he's bright. I mean, he, he's almost as bright as a Christmas tree. And and uh, Watts, you can tell Watts is kind of containing his laughter, just trying not to look that way because he can't keep a straight face at Boyd looking nice and shiny and all lit up, so to say. I'm a grown man. I have bought many suits in my life. I don't know where you go to buy a shiny suit. I don't know. We had this discussion on Booking the Territory a few weeks back, though, or months ago, I should say. And there's a place in New Orleans called uh, Soul Train Fashions, and they don't sell shiny suits, but they sell some very, very outlandish and colorful suits. 
Shiny is not the thing. That's about the closest thing I'd be able to find to to maybe what Boyd's got. But you're right, man. This has got to be tailor made. I mean, he's shining, man. He's this isn't even a uh, this isn't a bright color. He's literally shining. I mean, he's shining, man. He's glowing. <laughs> yes, you. I think you've emphasized enough. <laughs> that he's shining. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I have. Um, I ran away with that one. From there, they go to the opening match, which is Dick Murdoch versus Tom Renesto. Of course, it's Tom Renesto Jr., but he wasn't introduced with the junior, although eventually on commentary, Bill Watts decides to start calling him Tom Renesto Jr. Once again, um, you know, Mike, I don't know how much you have to add to this, just a simple back and forth match, but um, we do have some Bill Watts audio. I guess we could talk about the rest of it on the other side, but uh, here's some audio of Bill Watts talking about Murdoch's diet and his body. Chris, when you see Dick Murdoch, you see an enigma because, you know, most of us when we were in active in sports, we pretty well watched our diet and you'd have a training type meal a certain amount of hours before the contest you were in. Dick Murdoch would be in the dressing room eating popcorn or boudin and, and drinking a little Gatorade or go right out there. And I've seen him wrestle Jack Briscoe when he was world champion on a one-hour draw. He's just one of those unique individuals that I guess if they ever did an autopsy on him, they'd find he had whatever it takes to have that stamina and endurance. If they ever did an autopsy on him, they'd find Coors Light, I believe, actually. <laughs> but it's interesting. What Watts is saying, Mike, is if you're wondering why Dick Murdoch is a successful wrestler, even though he's kind of pudgy and doesn't really look defined or muscular at all, don't let his looks fool you. I mean, it's an effective message. I thought so, too. To me, this is another example of, of Watts knowing what to say, when to say it, and individualizing it for that particular guy on his card, if that makes sense. Like, you, you know, you look at Murdoch. I mean, obviously, Murdoch's not like – he's not built. I mean, he's, I guess, like typical for a wrestler during that time period as far as maybe size. But you look at him and he's – there's there's nothing. I mean, he's not a Greek god. He's not chiseled. But – Watts puts him over. Watts Watts explains why he doesn't have to have, you know, a great looking body or be huge, be a huge man to to be able to still wrestle. And it I, I liked it, man. It was it was good stuff as always from Watts right there. Watts says there that Murdoch is six five. I don't think he's six five, is he? He says that no, he's he, Yeah, and that, that that that's not accurate. <laughs> right, right, right. Definitely not. Uh like we said not accurate. Simple match. Dick Murdoch wins with a brain buster. They point out that he learned the brain buster from killer Carl Cox. An interesting little uh, tidbit that Watts throws in there for the audience at home. And from there, Mike, Bill Watts uh, has a little bit of an introduction for a segment here. Yeah, he he's uh he's gonna go into talking about Skandar. Well, he he leads us into a promo, I should say, with Akbar and Akbar's explanation as to what may be going down with Akbar and the Sheik leaving. So uh, I think we got some audio there. We're gonna listen to. Boy, Pierce, last week we had a little bit of mystery and intrigue in that we had a match, a special challenge match. The Iron Sheik and Skandar Akbar challenged the Junkyard Dog. And Akbar, with real egg on his face and practically tears in his eyes, had to get up there and tell the Reeser Bowden and the referee that the Iron Sheik wasn't there, that he'd been recalled by the Ayatollah Khomeini. And, of course, I'd say one thing, that Khomeini's gain is definitely not our loss. But, again, more mystery seems to be surrounding it and uh, Skandar Akbar in a pre-taped interview maybe we've seen the last of General Akbar I know a lot of fans and myself would certainly hope so let's listen to that interview last week here on television the Iron Sheik was scheduled to wrestle the junkyard dog in a special challenge match but he wasn't here 
And, of course, General Skandor Akbar was just as upset as anyone else. I said he was recalled by the Ayatollah Khomeini. Just maybe there's something that smells in this area. You know, my, my status in Mid-South, I really don't know at the present. You know, anybody could gain by this. Mr. Olympia, Ted Debussy, and that mangy, filthy junkyard dog. Anybody could be behind it. In all summation, the man that really stands to gain is the man that wants to be the big kingpin. And I'm talking about Ernie Ladd. <laughs> just maybe, just maybe. But I can tell you one thing. It may look like the general's retreating, but I'm just attacking in the opposite direction. And remember, if you think the general's dead, make no mistake about it, the general will be back. Some way, somehow. And I can tell you one other thing. I know nothing. I knew that great arrangements had been made for the Iron Sheik. And a rematch with a junkyard dog. Just maybe... And I don't like to repeat myself, but at one time in my career, I'm very frustrated. I am frustrated because there's something that's rotten in Denmark, as you Americans say. Well, it's quite obvious. General Skandor Akbar is quite upset. We don't know what has happened to the Iron Sheik. He obviously does not know, but he says that he has been called back to Iran. We'll see what happens in future weeks. Well, there it is. And uh, it's not really brought up again, but as we will see in the weeks ahead, the little tease there of Skandar Akbar saying, the only competition to be kingpin around here now that I lost to Sheik, it helps Ernie Ladd. And uh, that will certainly come into play in the uh, weeks ahead here, Mike. Yeah, I would, you, you basically took the words out of my mouth. I don't want to really give anything away because if there are people listening to us who've never never watched Mid-South and don't know what's coming next and are kind of watching it as they go, but that's a key, what he said right there, what you just mentioned. And I, I guess I just want to leave it at that because – and also if you notice, Reeser Bowden towards the end or at the end, he mentions, I guess we'll have to see in the weeks to come. And that's – that's as that's as key as I can say at this point that should be paid attention to. Yeah, Reeser Bowden, the four the foreshadowing <laughs> Reeser Bowden. Yeah, here on the show, just a just a tease there at the end. I mean, it, he he kind of I don't I guess he he drew it home with the conclusion right there. I mean, Akbar did say a lot, but there 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 was a lot said there, but then there really wasn't, which you know keeps the the fish in the hook's mouth, and hopefully uh, you keep watching. Well, the next match features Ernie Ladd at ringside as a manager, and of course, he's the manager of Afa and Sika, the Samoan Warriors, who are back here in Mid-South for the last few weeks. And it's them against Frank Monty and Terry Daniels. You may remember Terry Daniels in the future as Private Terry Daniels. My favorite thing about this <laughs> was when they go to Reeser Bowden, he does like an introduction like no one else does, because they go from commercial, they open Reeser's in the ring, and he goes, and it's tag team action now. Uh, and I just, <laughs> it's such a funny little statement because he's standing in the ring. The tag teams are both there, but still. And it's tag team action now. I don't know if any other ring announcer on a wrestling television show would say that. Well, Reese was always very specific. I mean, when it comes to things like that, I mean, recall from weeks ago, it, now it's time for the, for, <laughs> can we get it out? <laughs> now. The big boys and the little girls. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I can't. 
I pop myself. There you go. That's exactly it. So, yeah, Reeser, I guess that's one of the unique things about him. He likes to make sure he's real specific. And now it's time for tag team action. Yeah. Reeser's good, man. I like me some Reeser. Well, during this match, of course, the Samoans are killer heels there. And Bill Watts, as you're supposed to do when you have a wrestling company, made sure his heels were put over strong in commentary. It doesn't mean just talking about how evil they are. It means talking about how strong they are, how powerful they are. And here's Bill Watts a little bit about that. And this is why heels were so effective in Mid-South Wrestling. It's an awesome thing to face these men. They're, they're, they're just powerful. And they're tremendously coordinated athletes. I don't know if it's their heritage or their training. It's a warrior-like situation where they take pride in the pain they take and the pain they inflict. Maybe their society's a little less sophisticated where they came from, and they certainly don't think it's uh, beneath them to really punish somebody. There he goes with that patented move. Jerry hits it real fast, Boyd. He's walked over and tagged his brother. Generally, he hit that move and dropped the guy. There he drops the guy now, but his brother is a legal man in the ring. Whoa! Flying headbutt off that second rope. Terry Daniels is wiped out. Like you pointed out, Bill, his brother was the legal man in the ring, Sika. And the Samoa drop gains another victory for Oppen Seeker, the Samoan Warriors, and to the delight of the big cat Ernie Led. We'll be back after this word from Mid-South Wrestling. That was a pretty cool finisher, the Samoan drop into the diving headbutt. I don't think I've ever seen them do that before. I don't recall either, but I agree. It was a it was a nice finish on a I mean, look, they're up against Frank Monty and Terry Daniels at this point. So and obviously the goal is to get them a a win and another notch under their belt, especially uh, they're just returning. So we got to I don't want to say reestablish them. I mean, people down there knew who they were, but cool finisher. And Watts's explanation about their heritage and their training was just spot on way to describe it. Good job by Watts there. I mean, exactly what you needed for that match. The next match here is one that would typically be opening up the show. Brian Blair versus Carlos Zapata, who it's been a fascinating little ride here for Carlos Zapata the last few weeks because Bill Watts, several weeks back, said that Carlos looked like a man known as the Welcher, Katsabulus. And then he went into how Katsabulus' wife is embarrassed that he owes debts to people, and he brings up promoter George Culkin, I believe. Yeah. And he brings him up again the next week. Well, he brings him up again here, and we'll tell you a little bit more about what we've been able to uncover about Katsabulus the Welcher, but let's first hear Bill Watts, for no good reason, for the third week in a row, bringing up Katsabulus in the middle of this show. This poor guy sitting at home saying, what do I have to do to get Watts to leave me alone? Let's take a listen. <laughs> Tried to take advantage of Blair, but Blair hit him with an inside cradle. Sunset flip. Good move, Brian Blair. Zapata right on his back. Reminds me a lot of this guy named Katsabulus. Welcher Katsabulus from Jackson, Mississippi, Boyd Pierce. Young Brian Blair out there. I'll tell you, when they start squaring off, they're in the wrong sport. This is wrestling, not boxing, and Jack out reminds them of it. Of course, if Zapata's anything like old Katsabulas, he's ready to be reminded because he saw he's on the short end of the deal. Oh, 
Cats the same way. Cooks up a big deal and then can't follow through on it. That's the way it was a pot is. Starts off like a real house of fire there, but just can't follow through. But he gets young Brian Blair there. He's going to try, it looks like. I'm starting to think he's only employing Carlos Zapata so he can rip on Kat Zabulis each week on TV because apparently they look so close to each other. That's an ex- that that would be very possible. I think I think you're on to something there because every single week, like you said, for three weeks now, we're talking about the Welcher, Kat Zabulis during a Carlos Zapata match or Zapata as he was maybe a week or two ago. Can't remember, but. Uh, do we want to uncover what we found about Katsabulis online? Uh, something that, and this is this is this is all on a message board, so I should state that. Do we? Are we ready to uh, give that news out, Brian? Yeah, uh, you actually were the one who ran into this info. We were both searching around trying to figure out who exactly is this character that Watts keeps talking about on the show. Why don't you let us know what you found? Okay, so uh, in on an old wrestling classics message board. Uh, we we figured out, and I'm going to read this verbatim, who Katsabulis is, or who, who we believe he is, based on this information on a, on a message board. Kat, or Katsabulis, was actually a local businessman in Jackson, uh, Jackson, Mississippi, that is. In fact, he had a tire place there, among other business interests, and was once upon a time uh, one of my sponsors on the radio show that I had there for 18 years. Now, the the... The person who's referring to Mai is a gentleman by the name of, uh, I believe, Jeff Steele. It says, and Jeff goes on to say, I knew him and I remember the Watts comments. I have no idea what Cat did to Watts and knowing Bill, he may have cheated him on a tire deal. At the time, the Culkin family had started international championship wrestling as their own promotion in Mississippi. For years, they had been the Mississippi... Uh, They had been the Mississippi guys promoting the McGurk Watts product there. They broke away and started their own deal, including TV, and that's where Jack Curtis Jr. came into the picture. He took over the Mississippi promotions for Watts of Mid-South. The two promotions ran directly against each other for a couple of years before Mid-South won out and Vince took over all TV along with Crockett and Turner. If I remember, and at 46, my memory is an issue, I think Cat sided with the Culkins probably after making a series of promises to Watts. By the way, the ring announcer for the Curtis cards in Mississippi, I remember it all well, and Cat was none too happy for a couple of weeks. It must have resolved itself, however, because Cat became a regular in the back with the guys at Mid-South in fairly short order. If Cat is not dead by now, I would be really surprised. ICW Culkin Group did use a lot of Gulf Coast talent and, in fact, a lot of uh, New Orleans talent. This is the absolute truth as I remember it, and I could talk for hours about the incident, and that's the way it was circa 1980 through 1982. Uh, Again, this information is coming from someone by the name of Jeff Steele, and it's interesting. So it sounds like it blew over rather quickly. But there was bad blood there, as you suspected, Brian, and we both did. And that's why Watts went after Katsabulis, the Welcher from Jackson, Mississippi. Yeah, and if he was back in the fold, I'll start asking some people, uh, including Cornette, to see if they know him, if they remember him from Jackson. Katsabulis, the Welcher. Yeah, just say Katsabulis, the Welcher, and see what, uh, see what Cornette knows. Because if he's back in the fold, you know, Jim shows up a little over a year from after this point. So I would be curious to know, yeah, what... what 
what he knows uh, as far as cats and bullets. I'm, I'm laughing because you and I went back and forth, especially when this first came up. We were like, what? What is this? And you even asked me, is that like a Louisiana thing? I'm like, man, I don't have a clue what this kid this is. You mean the name Catsabulus? Cat yeah. I was like, <laughs> right, yeah, right. Is that like a, a Haitian spell? I don't know what that right, is. Right. Yeah. Right, right. Exactly. So, and I'm like, man, I, I don't know. I've never heard of this and, uh, or, or never even thought of the name until I was rewatching these. So, uh, interesting take on Catsabulus. So, there you have it, everyone. I like the idea that Watts is doing this on TV each week because he was ripped off in a tire deal. <laughs> that's like, <laughs> that may be the funniest part if that's true. Like, hey, Cat, you promised me you'd give me a deal on some tires for this pickup truck. I'm sorry, Bill. I'm not going to do it. You're a welcher. I'm going to say it on TV. <laughs> I want my tires. Give me my tires, big boy. <laughs> 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 yeah, because it specifically said that he had no idea uh, what cats did, but Watts uh, knowingly Bill may have cheated him on a tire deal. What the heck? Oh my god, a tire deal! Because your life's not tough enough going through it. Named Catsabulus, you need some yes. guy on TV calling you a welcher every single week in what was traditionally a show that every market Mid South was in. It was. One of the highest rated shows, if not the highest rated at the time it aired. So I'm sure a lot of people in Jackson were watching that show and hearing about yeah. Welcher. Yeah, you're, you're right. This was a highly rated show. I mean, it wasn't like Memphis, obviously, but oof, I can only imagine. I mean, you know, because the people who knew this guy as Cat or Cat's a Bullis in Jackson must have been like, what the heck, man? What did you do to this guy? You know, they're, 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 they're raking him and grilling him over the coals, so to say, trying to figure out what he did to Watts. Oh, boy. Each week, Carlos Zapata goes to his Motel 8 or whatever, and he sits down to watch the Mid-South show. And he's like, <laughs> why does he keep saying I look like this guy? And then ripping on him for the entire match. <laughs> Calling him a thief and everything under the sun. Oh, Bill. Uh, I have a little Good. more audio from this match. I mentioned it at the top of the show, Mike. I found it interesting because I like, you know, Watts always frames everything so that it makes sense. Here's why this happened. Here's why this didn't happen. Here's why this won't happen. And everything's logical. Watts is explaining here what the motivation for a lot of wrestlers would be. You would think in the world of kayfabe, you would think if kayfabe's, you know, let's pretend it's an actual thing. The wins and losses matter. It's about getting paid. It's about bringing home money for your family. So this is a rather short clip, but I, I thought it was really interesting. Here's Watts talking about wrestler pay. Beating the man. Dick Murdoch just showed you a few moments ago. When you got that guy in trouble, finish him off. Like I say, these guys don't get paid by the hour. They're paid an event, and losers don't get paid very well. So the best thing is to do is go out there and gear up. Be mentally ready when you when that contest, when that bell sounds, and you don't stop until that referee counts at three. It's a little thing. It's a little statement. But to me, that just it adds so much. Because if you're at home, you know, if you're a kid watching, it puts that thought in your head. And if you're an adult watching, it just makes sense. Like, there's nothing in that you poke a hole in or say, this guy's talking down to me. It's just straight-up logic coming right at you. Yeah, of course, these guys want to win because they make more money. I had I had a, the same note or similar note. I love when he said that. You know, he was like, he he basically, Watts, when I say he, he's saying, don't play around. You know, he's, he's basically kind of critiquing Blair at that point, too, because he felt like Blair got a little bit of lackadaisical in the middle of the match, and he was like, you know, you can't play around there, man. You're in there to make money. You're in there to, to get a pinfall and defeat the guy. You know, don't, don't, don't waste that time. Get in there. Get it done. And you're right. It's not talking down to the audience. It's talking, it's, it's educating your audience on what 
is really happening in there, and it's about making money and not playing around and, and playing games in there. I agree. It's a good soundbite because it's true. Brian Blair wins with the guillotine. The referee's Jack Howe. Uh, interesting, you know, he wins with the guillotine. Brian Blair, again, for a little while there, especially because it was so tied into what was going on with the big program between DiBiase and Orndorff, was using the figure four, uh, which he doesn't use here. He wins via pinfall with the guillotine. So no more figure four for Brian Blair. Uh, no more ring jacket either this week. So uh, he must have been listening to your thoughts on that, Mike. But <laughs> the, um, the next match is a pretty good tag team match. Yeah, this match here, man, we got JYD and Mike George versus Paul Orndorff and Bob Orton Jr. Excellent match overall. The only complaint I had uh, amongst, you know, this whole thing, because there was a lot of gold here, was I didn't like them coming out without the belts because they're the tag champs. And I, I realized Watts did say during it that it's non-title. I still think you need to come out with the belts. Other than that, man, the crowd is on fire when JYD and Mike George come out. I mean, they're dancing. They're having a good time. You know, Watts puts over JYD in his 500-pound bench press. Just Watts, again, selling it and, and just really, really – you know, helping you can see it and feel the energy at home, but watch still driving a point home about how tough of a person JYD is. And and you can see it. I mean, it starts off. It's it's a hot match from the beginning, man. It's it's a four way from the start. These guys are they're there to fight, man. They're not not they're not there to play games, if you know what I mean. And like you said, the people when JYD comes out and they play another one bites the dust, they stand up and they clap. And that's something you don't yep. really see anymore. You'll you'll probably never see it again with wrestling, but a lot of the early eighties stuff you see it. People standing and just clapping and kind of just getting into the groove of the song as JYD's coming out. They're really into it. And it's really cool, too, when you think about here's Louisiana and you have white fans and black fans sitting amongst each other. And they're standing up and they're clapping for the dog coming out there. Uh, the front row is littered with the usual suspects. The old man with the white cowboy hat, the old lady, <laughs> the other old ladies, the teenage girls on the right. All of the usual suspects are there. Uh, this match, it becomes quite apparent that these teenage girls really like Paul Orndorff <laughs> much more than they do a lot of the baby faces sometimes. Uh, but, yes. Uh, we have a little bit of audio here of the end of the match of just uh, everything going on. And it's a good example of Bill Watts calling a match and explaining all of the action that's happening in the ring. Let's go right now to the end of this match. They've kind of turned this situation on uh, similar to a tornado tag. All four minutes. Well, that one backfired on the dog and, and George. That backfired on double headlocks tried to run together. But Orton and them got them separated and run into each other. And now they're ganging up on them. Double slam on JYD. <laughs> Mike George in a lot of trouble there. I think he took the worst of it from JYD. Now Orndorff driving it in Orton. Whoa! Boyd Pierce, that's devastating. That's devastating. They've got him. Now they're going to do the same thing the junkyard dog, it looks like. <laughs> going up to get the jog. Orndorff, Cole Nelson, dog pulled him over. It backfired on him. Headbutt for the dog. The thumper, the thumper, and Orndorff is on Green Street. And one, two, three, Orndorff's too late. He's too late. JYD and Mike George win the match. It backfired on the tactics they had set up. And it resulted in a victory. There you see Alfred Neely, the referee. Raise the hands of Mike George and the junkyard dog. In a terrific tag team battle, we'll be back with more action after this word from Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. Good match. Crowd really into it. Uh, at the end, uh, it's maybe a little hard now that I realize after we play it to really understand what happens. Orndorff grabs 
Mike George and Orton comes off onto him, uh, knocks him down. When they try it to the dog, the dog pulls Orndorff on his back and Orton hits him and the place pops and the people are just really reacting. And uh, it's, a, it's a fun match, a really fun television match. And of course, Mike George and JYD, like you said, are the Mid-South Tag Team Champions, although you wouldn't know it if you were just watching on mute. But a uh, good match, fun match. Yeah, I, I liked it. it. You know, simple little finish, but still effective. And you hear the crowd when it happened. I mean, they 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 were able to take out Mike George, but when they go to do the same thing to JYD, we get the elbow from Orton down to Orndorff, and it kind of, I guess, uh, hits Orndorff on the back of the head. And then JYD hits Orton Jr. with the thump, and, you know, three weeks in a row, Orton Jr. has taken a pin, basically. One of those, he wasn't even in the match. He interfered and still right, took the pin. Right, right. <laughs> oh, so there you have it. The uh, champs, uh, re- I don't want to say retain the title because it was non-title, as you heard Bill Watts say. But good stuff, fun little match, and crowd goes nuts, and good, good time there by all. The next match, you have the Mississippi State Champion, Mr. Olympia, versus the Polish Prince, Ed Wiskowski. Yeah, this was uh, at the beginning of the match. You can see it and it's very noticeable. Watts, you know, we're going to I think we're going to play the clip from it. But Watts puts over the bruise on Olympia's left calf. And wow, it is black and blue. You can't miss it even in low resolution television, which we're watching this, I guess, is what I want to say. You can see the it's just man. I mean, his calf is purple, man. It's crazy. You know what I'm saying? Well, let's go to that audio, and uh, we'll talk about this on the other side. Well, I'll say one thing. It should be a great match because these are two great athletes. You know, it's the left leg of Mr. Olympia is completely black and blue. What a severe injury he had. Went to the doctor. Blood vessels all ruptured. But in pro wrestling, if you don't wrestle, you're not getting paid. Mr. Olympia said, I'm going. It's a tremendous amount of courage in these guys. Oftentimes going with injuries that would... The ordinary man would be in bed or off work, collecting that unemployment or that workman's comp. But these guys, it's free enterprise, and they got a lot of pride about it. We, we probably need a running tally of every time Bill Watts mentions free enterprise <laughs> on the show. And again, it comes back to money. If you don't work, you don't get paid. Makes sense. Someone at home who has a job understands that. And here's the here's the thing about what he just said. Obviously, wrestling's a work. <laughs> But Watts is – he's shooting. That's 100% true. You don't work my cards. You ain't getting paid. So, I mean, it's he's, he's, he's preaching right there. He's preaching his gospel at that point. He's, he's 100% on the money. Yeah, hopefully there were no union organizers listening. You don't get paid if you stay home. No workman's comp. No unemployment. Uh, uh, I'll repeat what one man gang told me about Bill Watts. He said, if you get in an accident and you die on the way to the show, you better have somebody carry your body there and lay you in the ring so somebody can get the one, two, three on you. You still better show up. Yeah. So there you have it. That's what Bill Watts' take on it. Yeah, I mean, that's the story about Buddy Landell when he was in the car accident and he was driving behind Butch Reed and Butch Reed uh, had stopped and Buddy was looking at girls and he crashed into Butch's car and his eye came out. And he had to have his eye put back in, and he was late, and Bill Watts fined him for being late. <laughs> but um, another interesting soundbite from this match, Mike, is Bill Watts talks a little bit about a friend of his who's a wrestling fan and how he defends wrestling when other people put it down. I thought this was an interesting little soundbite. Yeah, a friend of mine once told me, he said, Bill, he says, 
a lot of people tease me about being a professional wrestling fan. He said, but you go to a movie, he said, you know that the hero's never going to die. He's always going to come out in the end. He says, you go to play the same situation. He said, I love professional wrestling. He said, because you never know what's going to happen. He said, great athletes out there. And he said, it's always action. Can you imagine this poor guy he goes up to Bill Watts and he's like, everyone makes fun of me because I like wrestling, but I know it's real. And, you, and Bill Watts like, yeah, <laughs> sure, buddy. <laughs> I actually had that same note, but I can only imagine Bill would say, he had a point there back. I mean, you know, yeah, the, the hero always wins in a movie and the hero always wins in a plays. And, you know, you got it's just. It's a basically repeating thing. I mean, back then, wrestling was 100% unpredictable. You didn't know what was going to happen week to week. And that's why we tuned in. We wanted to see the story play out, and he was on the money with that. Well, we talk about how Bill Watts can explain anything and make anything make sense. Here he explains something. I don't know if I've ever heard this on another wrestling show. You know, I mean, you were a, a trained wrestler. You were the menace to society, as people yes. are still talking about. When, when you're the menace <laughs> to society, when you come out, do you like, do anything like point to yourself like I'm the menace. I'm the menace uh, to society. No, I, I, no, <laughs> I, didn't, uh, I, I didn't. I didn't yell my own name or anything like that. I would make my little walk around the ring and get in. Yeah, I, it wasn't anything like I didn't have like a, a pose or anything. I would strike, so to say. I mean, like an RVD pose or anything when I came out. But nor would I scream or uh, rent my own name. Nah, nothing like that. That wasn't that wasn't my uh, that wasn't my thing. I just would walk out and, you know, I'd curse people out, you know, flipping a bird or something like that. You know, just 80s heel stuff. Sure. Uh, typical things is what I would uh, what I would throw out there. Very classy. Yeah. yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, very classy. Yeah. <laughs> but when wrestlers kick another guy, a downed opponent who's on the mat, you may notice they stomp on the mat a little bit. You may notice yeah. that it makes a little bit of a noise. Well, here's Bill Watts explaining why that is. Wow, good move. Waskowski tried for a hip lock, but Mr. Olympia reversed it into a backslide, but he's... Waskowski's really working over that high kidney area in the small of the back area, and, and it's taking its toll. Oh, right into the rib cage. You know, a lot of people say, well, when a guy kicks a guy, he lands on the other foot. Let me tell you, if you've ever jumped on a slippery, wet ball with two feet at one time, you look a little silly when you have to pick yourself up and dust off your derriere. You darn sure you kick a guy legally with the bottom of the foot and you catch yourself because you don't want to slip off his body and fall, but you can still drive all the wind and all the air out of him by that legal kick. Short, quick, legal kick. But that one was just the top of the boot right into the rib cage. And after working all of that small of the back, you can see it's taking its toll on Mr. Olympia. And his first title defense here on television, he may be an ex-champion. Because Ed Waskowski has certainly picked up the momentum. So there it is. <laughs> There's the explanation I've never heard as to why wrestlers stomp the mat when they kick. That that was pretty darn incredible if you think about it's it. Brilliant. I, I mean, it's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember the I mean, I don't I don't specifically remember all of Watts' commentary, nor do I, you know, I'm gonna sit there and lie and say I remember him saying this back in the day, but that's this is brilliant for him to say that because how many times have you heard, you know, I mean We've all we've all been around the, the critical people who are critical of wrestling and go, oh, that wrestling, that's that hokey horse stuff. You know, they're they're stomping their foot when they're kicking the guy. They're not really kicking the guy. And to, to be able to go back to a soundbite like this and go, nah, listen to what Bill Watts has to say about that. He's got a perfectly great explanation on why a guy is, quote unquote, stomping. He's not stomping. Listen to what Mr. Watts has to say. It's brilliant. 
makes perfect sense. It's just, uh, it's really, really cool. But uh, that's it. Ed Wiskowski loses via the sleeper hold. Yeah, he uses the sleeper. And didn't he slap him in the back to wake him up? The old, the old deal that they did with the sleeper, whenever yes. they would, uh, go to wake him up i used to love that back in the day it was just one of those things where you knock the guy out and then you you had the pleasure of waking him up by slapping him on the back of the neck i was like when a heel would get in trouble because he didn't wake him up it's like well then why don't you wake him up like <laughs> why is the referee yelling at the heel to wake him up referee you can do this slap the guy in the back for some right. reason that's like a, a cure-all if you're yeah, choked yeah. out if the blood stops going to your brain just slap someone in the back and it brings them back. I don't know why EMTs aren't using this method. <laughs> why are trained medical personnel not using this same dang method, huh? How do you bring back someone who's been choked down? You burp them. Who knew? <laughs> Slap them as hard as you can on the back of the neck or the back. They should spit uh, up. Boy. Next time, yeah, when someone does it, they should just like spit up on themselves like a baby. Uh, but uh yes the mississippi <laughs> champion mr olympia his first title defense on tv defeating ed wiskowski who uh i hate to say just not i am not a fan of ed wiskowski in mid-south but next we get something we've been waiting to see mike something we've talked about from that missing episode we don't have and now that we look back so much of that episode has been on tv the last few weeks the samoans match jyd and the iron cheek so i think we now have a pretty good picture about what happened that television taping or or that episode and this is the dream match ted dibiase defending the north american title against paul orndorff uh the females in the crowd cheering on orndorff the crowd it, it's packed this is one of those uh shots mike maybe because it was the first taping in 1982 you look at the back wall not the wall where the bleachers are the the side wall where the uh the second camera is and I've, right. I've never seen that many people there. It's packed with people. And uh, let's let's hear some audio here, and it'll go into Alfred Neely, the referee, talking to Bill Watts for a second to explain what happened. But uh, let's listen to Bill Watts. Tell us what we're about to see, and then we'll hear what he's telling us we're about to see. The challenge was that every time DBS got in a tight situation, defending the title, that he would intentionally get himself disqualified. Because the title does not change hands on a disqualification. The only way you can be the champion is to pin him or to make him submit. So Orndorff had asked for a special stipulation. The disqualifications would count as pinfalls. Therefore, saying that if DBS got disqualified to save the title, it would count as a pinfall, and therefore he would win the title. And the most, the wildest thing I ever saw came about because Paul Orndorff, through interference by Bob Roop, won the North American title. But at the same time, he then hit DiBiase over the head with it, getting disqualified, which counted as a pinfall, and cost him the title. And let's join the final moments of that match. It was one of the greatest matches I've ever witnessed and here it, on Midside. And it was our first dream match, if you Yeah, the first him. dream let's match, watch boy. watch it right now. <laughs> Looking for a leg lock. He's going for it. He's going for it. Now, will Orndorff be able to work the counter? Will Orndorff be able to work the counter? Because he's in the big four, and you can't stand it long, I promise you. It'll tear your leg right off. It's an unbreakable hole. But Orndorff has a way of countering it. it reverses the tension, almost like an Indian death ball. Bob Roof out there hollering and, and, and cheering Orndorff on. So far, he has not interfered. As long as he stays outside the ring, there's nothing can be done about it. Orndorff has reversed the figure four. He's reversing it, and DiBiase's in excruciating pain. Some three, four weeks ago, we saw this happen, and DiBiase hung on for over two minutes and didn't give up. 
but he was in such pain and television time had run out, he had to be helped in the ring, but there's no way. We have plenty of television. They're rolling, they're rolling. DiBiase's fighting it. They rolled to the floor. It could have broken a man's leg. They've rolled to the floor. They've fallen to the floor. It's broken the hole. I don't know. Roop is helping Orndorff up, and again, there's nothing that can be done because he has not touched DiBiase. If he touches DiBiase, the referee would have to call the disqualification, which would be a pinfall. DiBiase fighting back in. He at least broke Orndorff's counter. Oh, Orndorff caught the referee coming back in as an advantage. And the referee is out of... Orndorff's going for a figure four. Orndorff's going... Murdoch's coming down. Dick Murdoch's not going to let his protege. Orndorff has a figure four built in the ring on the outside. Orndorff's got the figure four on DiBiase. Murdoch trying to help the referee up. And right now, it's a bad situation for Ted DiBiase because Paul Orndorff's got Ted DiBiase's own hold on him. DiBiase is in excruciating pain. Roop's telling him to hold on. DiBiase looks like he's trying to work the counter. Work the counter that Root and Orndorff divide. He's reversed it. He's reversed it on Orndorff. Roop is going off. Get ready. Roop's come off the top rope on him. Murdoch is in there. Dick Murdoch's after Bob Root. Alfred didn't see that, and he's caught the fall. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. He's giving the title to Paul Orndorff. Paul Orndorff has regained the North American Championship. Paul Orndorff is the North American Champion. Murdoch's trying to explain it to him. DiBiase, I don't even think, realizes what's happening. He thinks he's still in the match. He's still in the match. Orndorff has hit him in the head with that North American belt. Murdoch's getting ready to hit him. DiBiase's Neely's calling for the bell again. Neely's calling for the bell. Murdoch's getting ready to the fight. DiBiase's down. Neely is taking the belt from Paul Orndorff. Boy, Pierce. He's ready to yeah. his head. He's giving his belt to DiBiase. He returned it. The North American heavyweight champion. Call him over here, boy. Here it comes. It was over with. Paul Orndorff was the winner. That's all I made this qualification. First hit the man with a belt. I made this qualification. The winner, Ted DiBiase. Well, boy, there you have it. He said that Paul Orndorff won the North American title. But in essence, he attacked the man after the fall, which is an automatic disqualification. And in this match, a disqualification is a pinfall. This makes history. Boy, Paul Orndorff won the title and held it for the shortest period of time of any champion in history, a mere matter of seconds, and was duped at probably his own situation. But let's go to the ring right now to Richard Biden for this match with DiBiase and Bob Root. There's a lot going on there. I think, luckily, the commentary lets you know at home exactly what it is so you don't miss too much. But really, the crowd's going nuts, and they're just working that figure four back and forth. It makes so much sense. Orndorff wins. He hits DiBiase with the belt and gets disqualified. It's not even a match at that point. <laughs> and they give the belt back to DiBiase. Yeah, well, I think what I think what happened there was Alfred Neely 
is being told by Dick Murdoch, who's out there, that Roop got involved, and that's the only reason why DiBiase was pinned. Like he was, you know. So Murdoch is is like convincing Alfred Neely, hey, they cheated, they cheated. No, they cheated Teddy. They cheated Teddy. That's what what you counted. Yeah, he was out cold, but it was because Roop got involved, and 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 Roop Roop, you know, Roop hit him off of the top rope, and. As Neely's listening to this, this is, you know, Paul Orndorff now has the belt in his hand. He's got the North American title, and he's he's running around celebrating with it. And he's jumping up and down, and he's having a good time. And Neely finally realized, oh, okay, so Roop cheated? Oh, oh, if that's the case, um, no, it, 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 it's, it, it's not going to happen. And But at the same time, Orndorff also clocks DiBiase with the belt. So then when Neely goes over to the desk and he's talking to Watson Boyd, He's like, no, no, no. He he hit him with the head. I, I was saying restart. It was like he was saying, I was saying restart the match. And then when I said restart the match, he hit him with in the head with the title. And and uh, the DQ at that point and uh, DBIC win. It was very chaotic. And you hear the fans, they kind of like die a little bit. They're like, damn, you know, Orndorff just won. And then when Ted wins, they they kind of go crazy again. But another thing, there was two th- two other things too. Neely's like explanation when he's over there by Watts, if you listen to him, he really sounds amped. Like, man, I just had to ref that crazy match. <laughs> and that sells how nuts it was. If you really listen to Neely real good, if you were to, you know, if, if people listen and rewind it, just listen to Neely again and listen to his inflection. And then the other thing too is, how often do you hear Boyd Pierce at least in the first six, seven weeks of us doing this, Boyd Pierce going nuts the way he did. Did you hear Boyd Pierce raise his voice? I don't know. I don't know how often he really raises his voice to that level. He raises his voice, but not the way he did just now. Right. Uh, because that's that's the title, the North American title. It basically switched hands twice for us right there almost. Yeah, and uh, Boyd's really into it, and there's a lot going on. It's just really hot. The other thing noticeable is that Bill Watts really cleaned up his look between the two tapings <laughs> because here today he's wearing a blazer and a – a uh, button-up shirt, and he has a nice clean-cut haircut. And on the other show, he kind of has like a little bit of wilder hair. He's wearing that giant medallion. We didn't know what he was wearing, and a leather jacket. <laughs> so I think he's taking his role as guest commentator a little more seriously for this set of tapings. Quote unquote, guest commentator. <laughs> guest. Co- and now I'm going to turn the mic over to the man who's going to talk for the entire show, Bill Watts. That's what it should be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, uh, the next match is Ted DiBiase versus Bob Roop. Of course, Bob Roop had involvement in that earlier match, which took place on TV several weeks earlier. And Reese Rebound's doing the introductions when Paul Orndorff comes in the ring. We're going to play that promo. And uh, there ends up being no match, and you'll find out why. But I love Reese Rebound's reaction when Orndorff comes out. Listen to this right now. And this event is for one fall or remaining television time. In the red corner... At 250 pounds from Blacksburg, Virginia, Bob Roop. Uh-oh, here comes Paul Orndorff. No I got something I got to say. There's something that's going to affect you, affect you, and it's going to affect all the fans out there. Now listen, everybody knows what's been going on around here in the past. Now I got Mr. Freddie Miller, president of Mid-South, on the telephone right now. And you know, I've been reading a lot of the fan mail and a lot of the cards of these dream matches have been coming in. And I know what's going on. And believe me, those people out there knows what's going on. We've had referees that have been very biased. You have been very biased. That's right. And you have referees that tend to lean towards this side over here. Because they've been, that's right. That's right, because they are afraid 
of the outcome of what's going to happen. But I got a solution to all that. I have been sanctioned and licensed by Mid-South to officiate this match. Matter of fact, I got Freddie Miller right now on the telephone to talk to you about this. Now, I've been licensed and cleared by Mid-South to referee this match. You mean Freddie Miller's on the phone Freddie long distance Miller, right now? Freddie Miller is on the phone right now. And believe me, listen, I have relayed the message to you. Now, it can affect your career and everything else. If I were you, I'd get up there on that telephone and find out what Mr. Freddie Miller wants to talk to you about. Wait a minute. Ted, y'all hold this match till I get back. I'll go check the phone. Just hold the match. I want these two right here. Let's get together. We're going to start this match off right now. We're going to start. Because if you think I'm crazy enough to go ahead and wrestle a match, when you say that you've been sanctioned to be a referee, I'm not going to wrestle a match with you as a referee. You think I'm crazy? Freddie is right on that telephone right now. And if you don't wrestle right now, I'll have you suspended just like myself has done everybody else. I don't believe that Freddie Miller, Grizzly Smith, or anybody else in their right mind would sanction you as a referee, and you're crazy if you think I'm going to wrestle with you as a referee. I want to have him. I want to have him. Hey. Well, it looks like we've got a... And then they'd all just kick each other's asses. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you were right, though, about Reeser. Uh, yes, he's making the announcement. And uh, here's Paul Orndorff. No, no, no. Then he goes, uh-oh, it's Paul Orndorff. <laughs> <laughs> but he says it so calmly. And now here is Bob, uh-oh, here is Paul Orndorff. And then he just casually walks. When they start fighting here at the end, he finally casually walks out of the ring. Uh, who knew? <laughs> Who knew that Alfred Neely would get two different segments where he's on the mic on the same show? But uh, that was yeah. clearly a mistake. <laughs> that couldn't be done again. Uh, Mid-South President Freddie Miller uh, allegedly in the back on the phone. Uh, Freddie Miller, of course, uh, the Freddie Miller famous to wrestling is the commentator from Georgia who later went to work for the World Wrestling Federation for a period of time. But that Freddie Miller uh, and at the time of this taping, Bill Watts did actually own 10 percent of the Georgia office. Uh, any thoughts on this? Um, I was about to say match, but it ends up not being a match. Yeah, I mean, it's just a, it's just basically a brawl that you know breaks out, and then Murdoch comes out to help DiBiase, and they fight back and clear the ring. No matches obviously taking place as we are. By the time this is over, I mean we're we're like I think about a minute and a half left in the episode before we're going off air and yet we're going to get another match in. So, uh, no, nah, not really just Murdoch and DiBiase fight back the ring clears and, you know, we go to commercial. Other than that, it was, it was, uh, it was funny because the, the one thing that hit me is you couldn't do this now, or you couldn't do something similar to this now, because, you know, if, if Orndorff goes to the ring now, let's say this happens in 2017. It's like, Hey, uh, such is on the phone for you in the back. Well, Okay, uh, why didn't you bring the phone down here with you? You know, <laughs> cell phones. It's kind of like scary movies where a scary movie, it's like uh, people are sitting in a room and they're scared. It's like, well, if you got a cell phone, you can just call 911, right? If, if somebody's threatening you. Uh, it's, just, uh, it's just one of those things where it's just, it's just a different time. 
Oh, well, I got to go all the way in the back and check the phone to go talk to to, to Freddie Miller right now. It, it, that, that's the that's the thing that hit me here. I was like, huh, oh, okay, but good stuff. I mean, you know, they're they're working this thing. Here's the thing: they're working this this angle with Roop, DiBiase, and Orndorff, and it, it it's it's going to play out over the weeks. And and this is just another chapter in it too. We talked about it um, maybe a few weeks back. The whole idea that considering what would happen in 1985 with Murdoch and DiBiase, that they really are laying the groundwork here. Even if the intention was not, hey, in five years, let's do an angle, or actually in this right. case, it would be three years. The foundation for an angle is there. It does make me feel it's a little bit of a missed opportunity that Mid-South, who had all this footage, didn't do some kind of video package in like 1985, like the history of the relationship between DiBiase and Murdoch, just because you know they're establishing here that DiBiase is Murdoch's protege. And that is such a large part of that Ric Flair angle in November of 85. So uh, maybe they could have done something there. But uh, the show's going to close out this week, Mike, with Bill Ash versus <laughs> Rick Ferrara. And I think Bill Ash closed that last week's show as well. I, I believe you're right. And I think from the time this thing kicks off, I think there's like a minute and 22 seconds left of TV time when they when they ring the bell here. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. Uh, let's listen to the last minute and 22 seconds of this week's episode of Mid-South Wrestling. To settle down here at Mid-South Wrestling television table as the next match in the ring, Rick Ferreira versus Billy Ash. Well, I talked to Ralph Neely with Grizzly Smith uh, during the commercial break, and he said there was nobody on the phone. Was, of course, that was quite apparent. But, you know, the, the Neely had said, hold the match up till I get back. He owed it at least to Freddie Miller to see if he was on the phone, even though I'm sure, like Ted DiBiase, he didn't feel that Freddie Miller would ever sanction such a deal. And, of course, Orndorff is using that just as a subterfuge to try to get two-on-one on DiBiase, which shows just how his mind works. And, you know, it kind of scares me in a way. What extreme will he go to? to get the North American title off Ted DiBiase. That's what I wonder, Boyd Pierce. It's got to be something that's got DiBiase wondering, too, and he's got to worry about it constantly. I know from the seven years that I held the North American title, the tremendous pressure people can put on you on things like that. And of course, Grizzly Smith also announced there will be a title match here next week right here on Mid-South Wrestling. It'll be for the tag title, the Junkyard Dog, and Mike George will defend those titles against the Samoans. As our clock is running along in the final minute. A tremendous card already we've seen. And like Bill Watts has told you next week, another little, title match. Little strong man, Rick Ferrara from France, who now lives in Alexandria. Hopes to have a gymnasium there someday. All right, I think we've heard enough of that. <laughs> Bill Ash is one of these guys, I think he needs knee pads. You ever see someone, you're just like, eh, it looks kind of weird that he's like, Showing his knees. <laughs> He's just, just a weird looking guy. Like, he needs knee pads. I don't know. That's one of the, that's really the only thought I had during this match. Uh, they explained, of course, Freddie Miller wasn't on the phone, but Alfred Neely owed it to him to check to make sure everything makes sense. It's perfect. Hey, you know, as I rewatch these, Watts does, Watts does a great job coming out of each segment or match and he really, what he doesn't tie up when it's happening, he makes sure at the beginning of neck of the next segment and match that he ties it up and that way it fits as perfect as it can for the episode. If you notice that pattern, and it really helps the show along, it really helps you process what you've seen and be able to understand what you've seen. Because as you watch it, you're reacting to it live as a fan, 
and then you're listening to him and then he he resets things at the beginning of each match every single time you know sometimes it's something subtle other times it's a little bit more lengthy but all in all he makes it make he helps make it make sense for you at home uh, as we wrap up this show, Mike, this is a little bit embarrassing. You may hear some noise behind me. A helicopter is right, as of right now landing on my street. Um, so with that said, I'm going to go to you to uh, do your plugs before I uh, – I'm hoping that the noise will die down a little bit. And now Swami the dog is uh, going into hysterics hearing and seeing this helicopter, but I'll let you go at it. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. You can listen to me twice a week at tinyurl.com slash Pod. Not just me, but myself, my co-host Doc Turner and Hardbody Hopper from uh, Wildcat Sports and Entertainment out of New Orleans. You can listen to us twice a week, once on Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Central Time. Usually the show drops, and then on Sunday nights at 7 p.m. Central Time, the show's dropping. We talk Smoky Mountain on Sundays. We talk about NWA and the old Saturday night TBS shows on Thursdays, along with a host of other topics on the Thursday show. We we, we introduce things like uh, we have a promo of the week that we do where we pull a crazy promo from wrestling's past and we discuss it. Sometimes we do our top fives. Uh, give us a listen. It's a, it's a fun time. Again, it's tinyurl.com slash Pod. I've had plenty of great guests like like Ron Fuller, the one-man gang. Heck, Brian Lass has even been on the show and been a great guest of mine a couple of times, and we've had a a lot of fun, interesting, old-school wrestling discussions. But it's a good time. Check out my my show with Jim Cornette where we dived into things, all things Smoky Mountain Wrestling. It was a really good time on Booking the Territory. You can follow us on Twitter at BTT underscore podcast. I'm at Mike504Saints. The thing is, you know, you can find us wherever you're getting this podcast from, whether it's Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, iTunes, Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called now. It's a good time. We like to have fun. It's all about classic wrestling and basically uh, just just three guys sitting around, having a beer, talking old school wrestling, and that's it. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast, available at 605pod.com, iTunes, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, and everywhere you find your favorite wrestling podcast, classic wrestling talk, and wrestling humor. If you want to support the Super Podcast by buying t-shirts, or stickers, or magnets, whatever it may be, you can by going to our online store, tinyurl.com slash superpodstore. Support the Super Podcast. Support your Super Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at GreatBrianLast. You can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at SuperPodcasts. And of course, this show is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. For Mike Mills, I'm the Great Brian Last. Until next time. Tally-ho!